Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am here with our illustrious producer, uh, Dylan Carnival. Um, John Amaya, our other co-host, is off right now, but we are here with my friend and guest, Joyce Wagner, and she is responding to the question, uh, why is grief so complicated? So we are in a series about grief, um, and one of the things I've been thinking about as we kind of start this conversation that I think is important is we find ourselves in 2021, and I think there's this perception that 2021 is going to be better than 2020, and I think we all hope that it is. But if we don't realize the grief of what happened, no matter how small or big or what loss, I think that that's the power of this series and we're all grieving in different ways. So Joyce, before I, uh, we're going to ask you the same questions that we kind of asked a few of our other guests and we're going to go different because you're a counselor and stuff, but have you been thinking about the transition from 2020 to 2021 with grief? And I don't know, I'd just be curious. Well, I have, you know, especially thinking about this. Um, and really, I think that we are in a season of grief. Uh, so there's grief. I mean, there's certainly the losses that we think about and people being sick and things like that. But there's just a collective loss that we have. And there really is a sense that life will not go back to the way that it was. And that is, you know, the definition of grief is there's a loss there. And so I think people are looking to 2021 to be better. Um, but as, as you said, if you don't do the work, it'll just rebound on you. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So your basic definition of grief is loss. Yep, I, I, this is my basic definition, the loss of someone or something, the response to loss to which a bond or affection was formed. Wow, okay. Yeah, there you go. Did you look that up or write that yourself? Um, I looked up several things and then made my own. So oh. basically grief is loss. So basically grief is loss. Yep. So kind of based on where our conversation is going right now, when you are in therapy with someone and you're walking them through it, so one of the things that we've been talking about grief, there are people, you know, I think of our co-host, John, who lost his mother. Um, there's people that lost things and it's very much real and they kind of know it. But the reason we're even doing this series is, you know, I can look at my life and it was like I lost, you know, just my routine. Mm -hmm. I lost the ability to go to the store. Yep. You know, we're wearing masks. We're not getting into a debate, but it's just, I think even pro mask wearers would say we'd love for there to be a day that we're not doing it. So when you're in therapy and you're walking with someone, how do you know that they're grieving when they talk to you? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, I think that just about everybody right now is in a season of grief. All right, so I we're recording this on a Wednesday. So I saw I see maybe seven or eight people a day. This is what people were grieving on Monday and Tuesday. The loss of a sister to mental illness. Mm -hmm. The loss of a vision. The loss of a dream. The loss of innocence. Somebody was sexually abused. The loss of a marriage. The loss of youth. Somebody was aging and was talking about that. The loss of freedom, like what you're talking about with COVID, and um, also miscarriage. So I think one of the things, I mean, one of the things that makes grief so complex, I spit. One of the things that makes grief so complex is that it uh, it's universal, but it's also very, very unique. And one of the things that we do is we we tend to. Um, well, we do two things. One is we compare our grief to others. Oh, I only, I only 
uh, have to wear a mask and everything, and you've lost um, a mother to, to COVID and things like that. And so that's not, that's not helpful, you know? So it's universal, but it's individual. And comparing yourself to another person's grief is not helpful. Um, and then we also, we tend to think that it should be uh, over before it's over. How do you tell if somebody is in grief and counseling? Because that's what they want to talk about. Mm. That's, that's, that would be the number one thing. It's what they want to talk about. And trying to get them to change the subject, they come back and they come back and they come back. Because the thing that works with grief is talking about it. Mm. You know, And that's where they are. And it also consumes their world. When we're in grief, it consumes us. And so that's what it is. It's, they want to talk. There's other things as well. I mean, I can go over the symptoms and things that people have with grief, but basically in counseling, it's like, wow, this is what, this is what is important to them right now. So, so I think what I hear you saying, because counseling, there's professionals that do it, but you need some skills as a person to do this. So if, if I'm with a friend Mm -hmm. and they continue to talk about, man, I, I really wanted to speak at that conference or I really, mm-hmm. you know, I really thought I was going to get this promotion. Yeah. You know, now you've kind of opened up this definition that, you know, for us to kind of call it what it is, is that kind of what you're talking about a little bit there too? Absolutely. Cause I think that we, we categorize there's, there's someone has passed away loss and then there is all the other ones. And those we, you know, there, I always say to people, I didn't make this up, but those are the ones you don't get casseroles for mm. losing your sister to mental illness. You don't get a casserole for that. Uh, having a miscarriage, it, it's often very alone, very lonely. And so if someone, yeah, wants to talk about it, then listen. And so yes, there's there are skills that you need to to be a good to be a good friend and be a good listener and things like that. But with grief, the number one thing you can do is listen to somebody and just listen and listen and listen. So do you do you think twenty twenty there was more grief or do you think there was the same amount of grief, just our the volume was turned up? Mm. I think that when you feel an emotion, it brings up the other times that you felt that emotion. Mm. So first of all, I think that there was a lot of loss in 2020 and people looked around at everything. I didn't even mention the financial loss for people. You could turn to the right, you could turn to the left. And as soon, you know, there was loss everywhere. So people were very conscious of it. People were feeling it, are feeling it. And then it also brings up oh my goodness, what about in eighth grade when, I don't know, I failed English or something like that. It brings up other losses in your life. So then we're also more cognizant of it. Mm. Yep. Mm. Okay. What's your personal experience in grief? Oh, I've, I've experienced a lot of grief. Um, pretty normal childhood, but then in 1996, my sister, who was 26 at the time, she passed away um, after an illness. In 1997, my mom passed away, Um, and then in 1998, my dad passed away from cancer. So that's kind of my trifecta of grief would be those times. Um, And then I've also, like as the people talk about here, there's been dreams that I've lost, pets, you know, I don't want to leave out pets because pets are important. There's been pets that I've lost. And there's just been, I think we go through seasons. I've had loss of what I, what I thought I was going to do, what I am doing, you know, what, what I'm going to do next, you know, those types of lots of loss. 
but the but the three that the three recognizable losses and then also grandparents and things like that too oh and my twin oh so sorry janet my twin sister passed away um in may so i i was gonna ask you about that yeah. because i think that that's something unique that you bring up i don't know if our listeners know this both my parents are actually twins oh. um do you think you felt it differently because you were a twin or I mean I'd just be curious kind of it's a yeah people ask that um there are two there's two types of losses there's the rapid someone was in a car accident and died and then there is someone has an illness and they're dying and you get it in one is an apple one's an orange you know one is not easier than the other I knew that Janet was sick and so I was more prepared for her loss and so that that's one thing but it is um it's it's just weird anybody that's a twin out there it's weird you were born on the same day you have the same birthday you have all the same share almost all the same shared memories from childhood and that person is is out of your life now it's just it is this sounds cliche it is like a little piece of you died the twin part of you died you know yeah well so i actually didn't know you were a twin till like last year okay um you know and i think some of our assumptions of even being a twin in grief is you know joyce and janet are attached at the hip i mean did you feel like there was some independence from her or did you like i even think about this with my siblings now i think we're closer than when we lived in the house um in the in the great words of uh you know I, who is it from uh, golden girls you know elaine there's two things i want from you silence and distance i don't know but uh or dorothy 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 yeah dorothy there's two things yeah. so um so I don't know, it, was it different in that sense or do you feel like you didn't have the stereotypical twin? Sadly, we didn't have the stereotypical twin bond. Um, there's a, there's a, this is a little aside, there's a thing that can happen with twins um, where one becomes good twin, one becomes bad twin and, and it splits twins. And that's, and that's really a shame. I've, you know, talked to twins and they will tell you that. And so um, Janet went one way and I went another really uh, like in high school and things like that so more recently we were working on things but no no she lived in Texas and it had a, just had a very different life than what I have so mm -hmm. yeah yep. so how do you know that you're grieving I mean you shared about those losses you know also you've talked about losses of dreams and things like when you stop and say Joyce, I'm grieving right now. You know, what does that look like? Preoccupation. Just like just like the clients, when when I'm at rest and my mind wanders to whatever the grief piece is, that would be one. And again, we can talk about loss of appetite, difficulty sleeping, irritability. We can talk about it. dazed and dazed and confused is a big one. Um, especially right in the beginning, but no, I, for me, and I think for a lot of people, you just, your mind wanders there and you just, you ponder and you wander, you ponder, you know, you think about it and that's what your brain again wants to think about. Mm. So, yeah. Do you, if you're grieving, um, do you notice that clients go into, cause you're talking about kind of pulling back but I can imagine, and I've even had to think about, it, there's times in my life when I'm grieving and I'm pushing the gas pedal. 
Oh yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and and um, you know, so you see you see a CEO, male or female, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they lose a, yeah. a close loved one to find out that like they're working 80 hours a week or yeah. they're, you know, producing more blogs or I don't know, podcasts or something <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, how do you kind of help, you know, some of those individuals sort that out? I mean, that's, I mean, very insightful. That is, yeah, the people that are willing to sit with it are further along than the people that will be distracted. Um, people get, pe- grief makes us, un- makes us uncomfortable. All right, let's talk about that. Grief is, it's the most powerful emotion. In case you, in, 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 the most powerful emotion, you're actually allowed to feel a little psychotic when you're going through grief. If you tell me, you know, I saw my grandma, she came to my bed, you know, and, and I'd be like, okay, you know, and I wouldn't be like, hey, strong, you know, let's, let's have Peter come in. Um, so it's the strongest emotion. It's, while it's universal, it's also very individual. How you feel it, how you feel it, how I feel it, very different. So that is a loneliness. Well, we don't want that. You know, now we got a powerful emotion that's not joy. We've got, I feel alone in it. Now, also, uh, I might need to look at my own mortality. Wow. I don't want, you know, there's any numbers of psychologists will say that the death fear is the biggest fear there is. And so I don't want that. And so people um, do exactly what you talk, what you're talking about. Let's get busy, you know, and let's, let's do this. And, and so how do you help them? Usually, I mean, you can point it out to them. Grieving, and I said this to someone recently, grieving people are not the most insightful people. That is not to say that they are not intelligent. At that moment in time, they're not insightful about what's going on. And neither would I be, neither would you. So you can say, boy, you know, you're, you know, you're not sleeping, you're grinding your teeth, you're having panic attacks, you're... Um, you know, you, you've been to the, to the doctor for colon things or heart things or whatever, you know, do you think that maybe you should, we should just sit a little bit and just, you know, there's two responses. No, of course, you know, so, or yeah, I guess I could. Sometimes you got to wait it out until the person themselves is ready, a little exhausted and ready to do that work. Because it, it, and I understand, I mean, I've got great empathy. It's, it's very scary work. Um, and it's deep work and it's darkish work. It's, it's good. It's good on the, you, you know, hard is not bad. Um, but it, it is hard and people, they shy away from it. So you got to wait and you, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. So you're a clinician. And I think that that sets us up well. You know, we talk about the five stages of grief. Um, unfortunately, the picture that comes to mind is, you know, there used to be this TV show called House. It was a doctor. Oh, yeah. He's one of the least, you know. Empathetic. Empathetic. Yeah. So he writes on the whiteboard all five stages of grief. <laughs> and, you know, you can only imagine this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think my concern is we've talked about them that they're so cliche. Yeah. But they need to be helpful. So. Why don't you walk us through the five stages of grief, and then I have a few follow-up questions for that. Thank you for asking, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't we don't have fun, you know. <laughs> you know, people not, not with grief. You know, people people ask me like they're like, "How are you going to make this podcast?" Fun? I'm like, "Well, uh, you, you don't, but 
then you bring Joyce I'll, I'll invite Joyce. So Joyce will, yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, and I did I did some, I knew you were going to ask that. So I did some research on it. First of all, did you know they are not the five stages of grief? See, this is why we bring professionals on. They are the five stages of uh, death and dying. Ah. So in Kubler-Ross, um, her research, and it stands up to this day. Um, and so let me out, because I want to get them in the right order, let me tell you. So it is... Oh, where is it? Maybe on page three. Folks, you're getting like free therapy here. Free with therapy. Hmm. Oh, it's right on the first page. Okay. Here is her five stages of death and dying. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. Mm. And if you watch people who are... are uh, bereaved that, that they are they are going through death and dying they will go through those stages do they go through them linearly no do they go through them uh one two three four five absolutely you know it's like one three two five you know they go they skip around and i think that that is one of the ways that her work is misunderstood is we as people she didn't say this in her books we as people wanted to make it um as pre she would say as prescriptive as possible she's like i just want it to be descriptive i'm just telling you what i've noticed working with thousands of people that are that are dying that this these these stages happen and acceptance is one of the last of them so there's a guy that comes along david kessler he's her her, her student and he after she passes away he's like you know it's so misunderstood could I please write a book? He asked her family and, and the foundation. Um, you did of death and dying. Can I do of grief and grieving? Mm. And he adds another one to the to the um, to the stages. He says the the grief stages still are those five, not in that order, but they are still that five. And then the sixth one for someone who's grieving, someone. So the end stage with someone who's dying is death. For the, those of us that remain, it is finding meaning. Mm. So how do you find meaning in the loss that you have endured? You have lost your wife. You find meaning in her life. You have lost the promotion. You, you need to find meaning in that. And he's like, and when you do that, that is healthy grieving. So I want to make sure I'm understanding yep. something. Yep. Um, so you're saying it's not linear. Nope. And... It's the same stages for grief and death, but you add the meaning one. Yep. So are you saying this? Let's say I lost something. I lost someone. Mm -hmm. A year or two down the road, I could be at acceptance, but maybe two years down the road, I might go venture into bargaining. Mm. I mean, is that, is that kind of, or is once you cross the acceptance line? I think... So this is this is core work overall. Okay. I always say this to people in counseling. Um, it's uh, life is not like a box of chocolates, but it is like a uh, um, bullseye. So you do a piece of work, and then you do an, another piece of work, and then a deeper piece of work, and then a deeper piece of work. I think once you have crossed over to finding meaning, truly finding meaning, you're not going to go. You certainly aren't going to go all the way back at all. You may go back and do another piece of work. A, about a nut, perhaps that loss or another loss. Oh yeah, that's right. I was bargaining with that. Or yeah. Um, oh, I still am mad about that. But you'll get to the finding acceptance quicker. Now, 
this is the other thing that, and you said this, what you have to, you can lay out those stages. What that makes us want to do is get through them, get through my, hey, I know I'm supposed to find meaning. And so I got to get there. The issue is, and it's in, and we can talk about the wonderful things that happen when you get to the finding meaning and the acceptance and things like that. We can talk about it and people do get there. However, one of the things that people that are grieving dislike the most and understandable, we would all like it is, why aren't you over this yet? You know, like it, it, you want to know, I talked to someone yesterday with a miscarriage. She's like, I am so sick of being where I am. I am so sick of not having energy. I'm so sick of being depressed. I'm so sick of thinking about the baby. And she did the comparative loss too. She also said, and my baby was only six weeks old or whatever. And so I didn't even know the sex. And so people that have had other miscarriages are much worse than mine. I'm like, don't, first of all, don't compare. Don't compare because grief is grief is grief. And, and so don't compare. And then also understand that the person wants to be done with it. And there really is. Um, so the secret of grief is there's no cure for grief except for time. Time, it has to be time and you cannot rush it. Now, number two would be knowing that you are supported by friends and family. Mm. That's number two. But you have to give grief time. And you have to give the grieving person the... the uh, band the the room to go back and forth back and forth back and forth and not to chastise them oh my gosh you're still irritable you know you're still ir it's like oh wow yeah you know well by the way we um we're gonna be interviewing a couple about um the oh, wife's m miscarriage okay. so i think that's a great tia but i i, I want to make sure i'm kind of understanding this mm -hmm. because i i can see our listeners start to think so I lost my grandma in 2018, a mm -hmm. few months or a few weeks. Actually, the last time I saw her, she oh, yelled right. Haley. Um, yep. So I might be at acceptance with the holidays. Yeah. Like I might be at this place where, hey, like, you know, I accept that she's not here for Christmas, mm -hmm. but I could be when I hit her oh. birthday. Mm -hmm at anger and bargaining yeah is that kind of like because we we put it all in one funnel but i think even what you're saying there's different tracks of grief yeah you know you might be ahead of schedule somewhere but with other parts yeah of grieving you might does that make and, sense well yeah i mean again i mean really insightful first of all grief changes you forever mm. you've lost something you've really have lost a piece of you you know so you you know so you're always getting used to that loss number two as you said uh you know anniversaries and things grief is a funny is a funny not haha -ha, funny thing it, you think you've put it to bed and it pops back up mm. you know and so and it may be an anniversary or it may be march 6th mm -hmm. you know it may be March and, and everything so that you know so yes you don't you, it's not like you run the bases and you get to finding acceptance and you and you stay there no you know, nor do I think that you do the arduous work of year one or year two over again. We, you know, I mean, the question that we're dealing with, why is grief so complicated? We almost treat grief like a strategic plan. <laughs> and like, it's, it's not a strategic, it's not like, it's not by month six, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm at anger, you yeah, know, no. so to speak. Okay. And we want, and we're uncomfortable with it. And we put our discomfort on other people one of the another thing that because i used to lead grief share with little shout out to janet brat she's like the grief guru in rochester so um 
we used to do grief share groups um and the biggest complaint of um the people in the group is the um well-meaning but very uh abrasive things that people would say when when they were especially the fresher the grief was because again we're uncomfortable we want to fix it for the person we really do want to hurry the person along which again is all about us and our discomfort because we don't want to sit with our stuff mm. you know so their discomfort makes us uncomfortable and so we do all of these things and they've gone on for hundreds of years i mean you can know it and you still put your foot in your mouth so let's let's kind of walk through some scenarios i i think you know it's funny we asked what makes grief, com grief complicated that was just the whole <laughs> if you're tuning in now just rewind go back <laughs> so i'm a person i'm acknowledging that i'm grieving i'm in the soup of the yep. grieving process yep. um i think i just heard a toilet so i mean that's you know that's ambiance. The ambiance in the background you know we we're, we're at a church here we we're, we're real as long uh, as they have a mask on in the bathroom yeah. <laughs> there we go <laughs> so so someone you know someone says to me let go and let god and you know i have thoughts as a pastor but as a therapist how would you help that person respond in that moment well, you know, you hope the person isn't in anger at that particular moment because they might bop the person, you know, on the nose and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so, you, you, you know, what I would say to the person who, who says it, um, which is all of us, right? Let's all put ourselves in that person's shoes. We all say something similar to that is, shh, be quiet, be, be quiet. Understand that you're uncomfortable and just shut up you know just sit with your own discomfort and listen to your friend or your family member so shh, just be quiet because you're going to put your foot in your mouth if you you know if if you don't so then the person who is um who is grieving who's been told that then we have to unpack it and, and so there is you know you would say well you know you try to foster empathy you know you've been in you know the shoe's been on the other foot i'm sure you've said things and stuff like that too let's think about why they were said it and so and they probably meant well and things like that and then you actually have to sit with the person while they process all the feelings which might be more loss unfortunately now i'm because now i feel like i can't connect with that person now i feel like uh you know or I'm mad at that person. So now there's another disconnect and everything in there. So you have to sit with them while they process that, while they get to the other side of that, because people's emotions are also extremely raw. So you could, you don't even have to say, let go and let God. You could say, hey, want a cup of coffee? And that could be misconstrued because people's emotions are very, very raw. Mm. So you sit with them. Now you've just, you've added a layer. You know, you've added a layer of what, what the person has to get through. And if it's like going like God, well, now let's talk about my, how I view God and, and all of this. And mm. so and, and when you talk to people about grief, it's going to be um, the person that I was talking to yesterday. I'm not sure that God is the same person that I, that I thought that he was. You know, why do, why do bad things happen? I think there's been a podcast, you know, so you bring up all these other existential questions. So when people try to do a, a nice, quick, simple fix, and even on sympathy cards, you know, oh, and the things that we say, oh, Jesus needed another angel in heaven, you know, or the person is just asleep, you know, it's 
just say what it is you know and that's even for kids we don't we don't say those it's age appropriate but we don't we don't make up things about god and put it on god you know i want to come back to this yep. um so there there's kind of different levels of grace. so i'll i'll just share personally i think i've shared this in the past but you know again i, I talk about my grandma mm-hmm. that was kind of the last big death um in my life i i don't like i don't feel like i went through the grieving process mm because I felt like I was at a stage with her life that like seeing her hold Haley mm-hmm. was kind of like the crowning moment. <laughs> like, yeah. and so like I could, and I don't know, I'll have to talk to Charlie Cote, my counselor, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm really grieving. I don't know. But like, I felt like I got to that moment. I had to officiate the service mm-hmm. and my, my, you know, my sadness was more for my parents and my siblings. And so I I guess what, so some people be like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, how you doing with your grandma? And, and I'm kind of like, you know, I'm really okay. Like she was 90, you know, versus like something really raw. So help out our friends that are kind of like almost saying, should I be grieving more? Like, you know. So what What had happened, Pierce? So the loss of your grandma happened probably for 10 years before she died. You probably mm. let go of your grandma for like 10 years. And so when she died, it doesn't, you'd already done grief work. Mm. You'd already, you'd already done it. And so see, you know, and you know, Haley and the shine, that's the crowning moment. That's finding acceptance. My grandma led a good life and here's the crowning, you know, you know, a jewel in her crown is she got to hold her, her great granddaughter. Yeah. So, you know, so see you are, you're already at finding meaning. So no, you don't, you can't chast, everybody grieves differently, but just because someone has passed away many times, and this is, this is my story with Janet, I had been letting go of Janet for, oh, five or 10 years you know and stuff like that because of because of her life circumstances so when she died it was i mean you know it it, it shakes you because she was uh 49 so it it shakes you so yes i am 50. so (laughs) but i even thought about that like she she didn't make it to our 50th birthday so on my 50th birthday this year now i have to call it mine i i spent some time i i made it so that it was both of our birthdays I, mm-hmm. I set it up so that it was both of our birthdays this time because it was our 50th. But I didn't, I, there was not the deep wailing, gnashing of teeth, tear the cloth when Janet died or when your grandma died. We'd already done grief work before. And that's true. I mean, you'll find that more and more someone has a real difficult relationship with um, a mother or father and they have to grieve it. Somebody, before they leave a job, they if they if they leave a job they've actually grieved that job in the job mm. and then le- and then they've left the loss of i can't i can't get promoted here i uh i don't make enough money i can't stay here whatever it is you've already grieved that loss and then you quit you know and you might feel relief when you when you quit it doesn't and that doesn't mean that you didn't grieve but you just didn't you didn't do it on what we think is the right timetable you know it, it almost sounds like what you're saying is the grieving person sets the agenda in the conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to follow one step behind them and just watch where they're going. And, and again, and, and it's very, uh, very anything but linear. 
anything. People will call it an emotional roller coaster. So we want it to be nice, flat, prepare you the way of the Lord, get rid of all the potholes. But grief is like this. Grief is up and down and up and down and up and down. You know, I don't know if you remember this. You had me, um, so Joyce teaches seminary classes, and you you were teaching this um uh, this class for pastors and oh, yeah. you had me on this video and I, I remember Doug Cullum, Doug, we love you. Uh, <laughs> Doug was there and we were, I think we were talking about crisis moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of remember saying like, again, I, I want the other person to set the agenda. I've said this in past podcasts. Like I know a couple that lost a child. I asked them, would you like me to bring this up? Mm-hmm. And I still ask, and they said, mm-hmm. please do. And there's other yeah. people where it's like, nope, I, yeah. I'll do it. So I remember talking with him saying, you know, when I get there, set the agenda, you know, yep. we might be talking about the Bills. Yep. You know, they're actually in the playoffs. You know, there we go. Um, hopefully by the time this airs. So there, they, may, <laughs> there may be a great, great bit of grief <laughs> because there could be a loss of a dream or not, or well, not. There, there's still another season. Somebody somebody will be grieving on, on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. We hope it isn't Buffalo. There we go. There we go. Well, anyways, so, you know, and I'll, I'll never forget what he said was he just, it was so gracious and mm. You know, I think he said, hey, I, I think that's important, but we have to make sure we pray with them. And it's kind of knowing your role, yes. you know. So, yeah. you know, as a pastor, my role, I might spend an hour or two with someone. We might not talk about the grief or the crisis. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I have to sit there and pray, you know, and not have to, but just kind of say, hey, can I pray for you? And sometimes people will say no. Yes. Like, and I, I want listeners, I want to encourage you. Like, if you don't want to pray, right. like, that's okay. Um, yeah. But even if you're a friend, if you're walking with someone through grief, it's almost just asking them some certain permissions yeah. along the way. And I think even, I'm thinking of some of our listeners, we brought this up before, you know, we get to Romans eight twenty eight. you know, mm-hmm. God works all, all things together for good. And I don't feel like it's good at that moment. I may never feel like it's good at that right. moment. So Right, right. right. I mean, there's a lot in there. You follow, you follow the person, definitely. I want to say, as a friend, you want to err on the side of talking about it. Mm. We tend to think that people don't want to talk about their son who died seven years ago. Yes, they do. They want to make sure that people remember their son who died seven years ago. They want to, you know, they want to know that you remember on the anniversary of uh, grandma's death. They really do. Um, so the you want to ask permission and err on the side of that. Um, this is a little bit different than what you were talking about, but it, it you know it kind of dovetails. I again I asked my my I put it on my Facebook page and then I put it on the restoration counseling page. You know, I'm gonna go talk about grief. What what do you think I should say? And it was, I mean it was fantastic because again grief is universal it the the resources the thoughts that people had and one of the best things that somebody said was when I'm around someone who's in fresh grief I don't just say to them let me know if there's something that I can do for you they because the person who's in especially fresh grief and remember that fresh grief may be because you just got a diagnosis you know of something it isn't because someone necessarily passed away So, but somebody, you know, something has happened where a loss has been triggered in somebody's life. Um, 
or a loss of a job or something like that. You don't, they're swimming. When, when, the, when the loss is fresh like that, they are swimming. So don't say, hey, if there's anything I can do for you, that puts it on the person, right? Now here's one more thing. Take care of me because I, wanna, I really want to help you, but tell me how I should do it. No. Say, you know, what I'd like to do is make a meal for you. Would that be okay? If not, what about if I um, ran around and did some errands for you or um, got you a gift certificate or took the kids on Friday night? You, you know, so that person, Julie Rushig is her name, she, very wise person. She, you know, she, she says all that. And I think it's good. It shows the person you have a plan. It shows the person that you, you know, you want to help them. And you give, it's instead of a open-ended question, you give them multiple choice. Well, and I, I think something that I do is, you know, again, because I feel like at times when you start doing stuff, it can overwhelm people. Mm -hmm. So I even tell people, like yesterday I was on a phone call um, with an elderly person that sold their house mm -hmm. and, you know, just it's really hitting them hard. I said, hey, I'm going to call you in two weeks. Yeah. And until you tell me no, because I think a lot of times, you know, we, you know, there's a family I know of that, you know, their husband has, you know, a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. They removed the tumor. And there, you know, so even just some of that is there's a lot of complications. What is the lowest hanging fruit that we can do? And we'll do it till you say no. Yeah. Because, you know, again, not that we love talking about the Enneagram here, but, <laughs> you know, I'm an Enneagram too. Yep. You know, and John Amayo and I have had this conversation where Enneagram twos, they're called the giver, the helper. Like the worst question you can ask me is how, how can I help you? Yeah. But if you come to me and you go like kind of what you said, I'm going to give you a $35 Wegmans gift card. That's right. I don't have to think. Yep. And some people will tell you no. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right about all and that. And we don't, we don't trample on anybody's boundaries, but no. Yeah. And that's, I have a friend right now um, with a diagnosis of cancer. So I do think I'm in a season of grief for her and what they're going through. And um, so, you know, I, cause again, we compare everything. I've got a friend who's a baker and is making this person pies and everything. And I just said, um, I'm not going to roll out anything for you. You'll never hear me say, I'm going to roll something out, but can I, can I pick you up something from the city and bring it out to you, mm. you know, and stuff like that. Can I bring you some hummus? You know, but I'm not, you know, so don't, you know, there's a lot of things and what you can do for someone is not what I can do. Mm. So, you know, so if you are, if you're the friend, the caregiver, just, and, and the biggest thing is just showing up. Mm. That, and I don't, you know, Peter, I don't know if this is um, like this for you, but when I think back on um, my dad's death and my, my sister's death, you know, back when I was in my 20s, what I remember are the people that showed up even for the funeral, for, um, you know, at the graveside and things like that. I still remember those people today. So you just, you know, because you're, and that is how your brain's hardwired, by the way, too. You remember the really good and the really bad. And so you remember the people that took the time to just show up. So you don't, you know, if you're not a person who can do something for somebody, you don't, I mean, just listen. That mm. is, that's still the biggest thing. Groceries are great. Listening is, is best. Well, and even just to kind of close up this section too, the work that you need to do to help someone that's grieving, that's complicated, is you, you write down the to-do list. You say, three months from now, I'm going to check. Yeah. Six months from now. Yeah. Um, I think I told this story before. Again, I think it's good to be repeated. One of the best books I've read on this is Everything Happens for a Reason with Kate Bowler. Oh. And she talks about there was 
you know, she had stage four cancer. Um, I think she's still kind of walking through it. She's in remission. There's a family that would send her a gift card to Amazon every month. Mm -hmm. And she finally said to stop. But like just that consistency was huge. So and anybody, you know, this is back from the grief share group. Anybody in there would say, wow, there's this overwhelming sense of at, at, at the funeral you know all the flowers all the meals all the cards and then about two weeks later that's actually because remember the person who's just lost lost a person they're swept up in several things that have to get done they're probably not doing a i'm not saying they're not doing a ton of grieving but they're it's a it's a very uh crisis type of grieving their quiet grieving starts after all that goes away so sending the card um, you know, put it on your to-do list, send the card one month, three months, six months after, I still remember. That's, you know, it's long-suffering with the person, and it matters a great deal to them. Well, and the adrenaline, so, Ugh. you know, I, I go back to my grandma, because this is, like, the adrenaline rush for me was, you know, I'm the youngest in my family, you know, in this generation. Yeah. And it's kind of like plan the service, mm-hmm. you know, check with the uncle. And my family was great. They were fantastic. But, you know, like afterwards, I mean, I was exhausted. Yeah. And you can only imagine if someone hadn't gone through the grief process yeah. before, like two weeks afterwards, that's when the adrenaline, yep. you know, comes off. So And so, and you bring up, a, just because I want to say this, because this is very practical. When I'm around someone who's been in recent grief, that adrenaline rush um, makes it so that you do not sleep. Mm. Okay. And so let's say that somebody w- um, has lost uh, their, their, their husband and um, is fresh in grief, fresh, and, and they're not sleeping. Here's the deal. And any doctor, any doctor will tell you, you may need um, some sleep aids at that point in time because your body is full of adrenaline and also this the fight or flight of I can't I can't go to sleep I can't let down because this needs to get done this needs to get done and my emotions are so raw I just I it's one of the things that I say to people don't be afraid to and and you may really really need to especially the first couple of days be on be on some medicine to help counteract the adrenaline that's running in your, in your body so it's it's a grief it's a grief. Um, symptom it but it's biological it's you know it's physiological mm. so you can't if you know you don't and that's the last thing you need is to stay awake when you're grieving wow you know well. that that's just that's just super practical it's super practical um yeah. so let's close i mean we can go on and on we're gonna have you back don't worry um <laughs> you know whatever the next series is dylan over here is doing a dance we love that so <laughs> he's just dylan. he's just glad he's just glad the camera's not on him we try to be real as much as we can so we always close with the question, you know, what would Jesus have to say about grief being complicated? So as a pastor, I'll go first. And if I say any heresy or if I ruin anyone, you know, mentally, you know, you can jump in and save us. So. Uh, yeah. And if I, same thing for me, I'm going I'm <laughs> to flip to the Jesus page. See, are, aren't you all so excited about video right now? You can see this wonderful. Christian, so. Christian thoughts, Jesus in grief. There so, you go. Yeah, there so you go. If you say anything that isn't on the page, I'll let you know. Oh, there you go. So, so uh, you know, I would encourage all of you to do a deep dive into what the Bible says. And the example that I'm going to give is not, it's complicated. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, it's the end of Deuteronomy. You know, Moses, who in the Old Testament has led all mm-hmm. of the Israelites 
and he disobeys God and can't go to the promised land. And so I I think about that. And, you know, some people might say, hey, it's unfair that he, you know, he disobeyed God. God told him your punishment is you're not going to go. But I think that that encapsulates the human condition of grief being complicated. You know, Moses was old. Like Moses realized he failed and made mistakes. Moses also realized that there are moments that God brought him through. And if we can step back a little bit from a 21st century mindset and step in on a first century mindset, you know, the whole book of Deuteronomy, I think about finding meaning. Yep. The whole book is, I'm not going to be there, but I hope that you enjoy what God does. Mm. And I, I just think that that's powerful in our conversation of grief because, you know, one thing we didn't talk about either is sometimes we grieve because we fail. Yeah, like absolutely. we grieve, oh, yeah. you know, because we realize we messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and grief isn't this, you know, I mean, we didn't even talk about conflict, but like grief isn't this like Peter is 100% wrong and Joyce is 100% right. Right. You know, it's one of those, again, it's more murky. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, so I think of that story in Moses and how the Bible is, and Jesus is just attuned to these complications, attuned. It's not this, you can read it as black and white, but for some reason, Moses must have experienced enough grace to say, you know what? I, I want the next generation Mm -hmm. to experience God's grace. Yep. No, that's good. That's good. That's, that's, I, and, and what a loss. Yeah. What a loss. You know, if you think if you can picture him standing there, that's that's a loss, you know, Mm. terrible loss. But somehow and again, I wish that there were five easy steps to it and they are not the five steps of uh, death and dying. But somehow he found meaning in it and and then was able to to pass it along to others, which, yay, you know, Mm. go Moses. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Jesus and grief. What do you got? All right. Um, all right. So I found three passages. Um, John the Baptist's death mm. and what he, you know, what he did with that. It says he got on a boat and went to a desolate place. Matthew 14. When he heard about Lazarus' death, death deeply disturbed in spirit, deeply moved, deeply troubled, begins weeping. And then also uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, um, meet a funeral procession and he said it says that he has compassion on the widow mm. so this is these are not my thoughts because they're wiser than me this is this is what if you want to know what did jesus do with grief this is what um people on the internet <laughs> pastors on the internet said he was heartbroken and wanted to spend time alone with god praying and thinking he wanted he also we also see that he wants to be with and gather support from his close friends so first he's alone with God, then he wants support. Then he goes and he ministers to others. Sorrow can empower us to love, serve, and show compassion to others. So when we do the grief work out of that, so, you know, the grief, you know, like the grief that I've been through of this, 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 it makes me able to sit more with people. It's like, okay, your grief is not, will not overwhelm me. And I know what it's like to get to the other side. Mm. So I'll sit, I'll sit with you in the pond, the mess of your grief. And, and you, we can sit here and we can row the boat in a circle as long as you want. 
and then it's going to be great when you get to the other side. And you also really do understand that when you get to the other side of grief, there is joy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, weeping endures for night, but joy comes in the morning. Also biblical. All right. So then we say, we see how Jesus grieves with us. He enters our pain. He wanted, again, with, with John or with Lazarus, wanted to spend time with prayer, then with close friends. Again, then he goes to the tomb and raises, raises Lazarus. Our, our faith is one of consolation, comfort, and hope. So first you're alone. And, and again, and, and grief is a lonely, isolating experience, even though it's universal. Then he's with, he's with his close friends. And he, Jesus gathers support from them. And then he ministers to others. Then, then that's where the compassion comes. Mm. So I thought that I'd never thought of it that way till I read about it online. And I thought, wh- what do you think? I think it's great. I think that's a that's a great way. And I think what's important about what you just said is the Bible is set up yeah. to deal with grief. And oh. you know, I think our assumptions about the Bible and for those that are de-churched and unchurched, I think it's really important. Oh, it's a, grief is a meta theme of the Bible. Mm. If you can go back to the Garden of Eden and they lost their innocence. Mm. I mean, grief is the very first and, uh, and almost the very last thing. There is the perishing of the old, this, and the and the regeneration of the new. So, no, no, meta theme, meta theme of the Bible. And obviously, you know, the Bible says he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Mm. At least prophetically, it says that about Jesus. And he was. Well, folks, uh, you can read the transcript of this episode. Joyce has got probably some great one-liners. Also, you can find her restorationrock.com. Uh, we'll, we'll tag your website. Yes, and, yes. Uh, I should know my own website. Yeah, something. do Restoration Council of Rochester. It'll, it'll come up. There you go. Or do Christian Council of Rochester. Christian Council of Rochester. So um, we're so glad to have you. We'll tag Joyce and make sure that you can follow some more. She has some great videos also. Um, use the hashtag WGW podcast. Remember, one of the best ways to uh, share more about this podcast is write a review and review us on your podcast app. We'd really appreciate that. And um, I just want to encourage you to email Texas to a friend you might know, someone that's grieving. And uh, we thank you so much for joining us. 